Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the gospel of the Lord. For the past few weeks, our gospel readings have been from Matthew chapter 13, and this chapter has a bunch of parables about the kingdom of heaven. So you have heard how the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out to sow his seed and that seed falls on all kinds of different ground and how the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sowed good seed but then the enemy comes and sows weed seed. With our reading today we are at the end of this section of parables. We have three more parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a treasure that is found in a field and a man finds it and goes and sells everything that he has and buys the field. It's like a merchant of pearls who finds a pearl of great price and sells everything that he has and buys it. And finally, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that pulls through the water, every, gathering together everything, whether it be bad or good, and when it's on the shore, then the bad and the good are separated. When I take up these parables, I'd like to actually start with the parable that I think is the most straightforward, and that would actually be the second one. A pearl merchant who travels hither and yon looking for pearls to buy and sell finally comes upon one that he just simply has to have. He liquidates his inventory, he sells his property, he empties out his bank account, and he buys it. Jesus' parables almost always have some kind of twist, something that's unexpected. And the thing that is unexpected here is that this is no way to run a jewelry business. Someone has said, the business of business is business. And this fellow is no longer interested in making money. He couldn't make money even if he wanted to because he's sold his inventory and the only thing that he has left is this pearl 
and presumably he wouldn't sell that at any price. The only explanation for this so-called merchant's strange behavior is love. He just loved that pearl. He loves it so much that he sells everything that he has so that he can buy it. And that means that he is willing to live in the deprivation that goes along with not having any money. And he does it because of love. This might seem like a harmless little story, but that's not how people are with money and business. There is a rule seemingly come down from heaven above that a person or a business must always be making more and more money. And if you aren't always making more and more money, then you must be a loser. So for this fellow to check out of the money-making business because of love, that just sounds ridiculous. Sounds like something a liberal arts major might do, and we all know how poor those people are. Since this mentality is so strong and so widespread, I'm actually a little nervous pointing out to you that there isn't even a hint of this seemingly heaven-sent rule in the Bible. Being money-hungry is not a virtue. In the Bible, it's a vice. Other things actually get praised in the Bible. Other things that are often not talked about in common conversation, nor are they taken very seriously. Stuff like love, patience, suffering, weakness, joy, righteousness, faith, And where do these things and more all come together? They all come together in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, in the cross of Jesus, is all good things. Just as a great many people could be disgusted with the love that this merchant has for this pearl, so also a great many people could be disgusted by the love that a person might have for the cross of Christ. How's that cross going to make you any money? Plus, it's not even pretty, like a pearl. It's bloody and gory. And it sends a bad message to the kids. After all, he passively suffers there. He just takes it. There's no get up and go. What a worthless thing to throw one's life away for. So it goes, though, with the kingdom of heaven. Those whom God chooses love the cross of Jesus. And if you sold everything that you had so that you should have the cross of Christ, you would not be disappointed. There'd be a happy ending. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who found a pearl of great value, who sold everything that he had and bought it. 
Let's move on to the first parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is buried in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now I didn't begin with this parable because this one's a little more complicated. It's not as pure and pretty as the parable about the pearl, the morality police know that there's something not quite right here. First of all, what's this man doing wandering around on somebody else's property? And not only is he wandering around on somebody else's property, but he evidently has a shovel. And then, once he finds the treasure, he doesn't inform the landowner. Instead, he buries it someplace else so that he's the only one who knows where it is. And he's pretty tricky and clever in the way that he obtains this treasure. If he, upon finding the treasure, had immediately taken that treasure and started spending it, people would wonder, hey, where did you get all this money from. But if he buys the whole field, and let's say there was maybe some kind of rumor that there was a treasure there after all the guys looking around for where this treasure might be, he goes and buys the whole field and then he says, hey, you know that field that everybody's been talking about for years, that there might be a treasure hidden somewhere in there? Well, wouldn't you know, I just bought the field and here it is. Here's the treasure. And then he can go and spend that treasure as though it's his very own, as though he's the rightful owner, when in fact he's not. He cheated. So how is this similar to the way that the kingdom of heaven works? According to a certain way of thinking, there's something dirty, so to speak, about our salvation about how we are judged before God. A classic definition of justice comes from somebody no less prominent than Aristotle himself. A classic definition of justice is that each should get as each deserves. So when we are judged by God, each is judged by God, what should each deserve? Well, it depends on the person, right? Some are good and some are bad, so the good ones should be rewarded and the bad ones should be punished. The guy who owns the field should get the treasure and the guy who doesn't own the field shouldn't get the treasure. But the way that God reveals about his judgment is that it's different, that there is a righteousness that is available that isn't dependent upon how you've lived or if you own any fields or what you've done in your thoughts or words or actions. The righteousness that is available is the righteousness of Jesus, which is the righteousness of God himself. This treasure is given and then possessed and used by those who don't have a claim on it. It's just given to them. There's something of a scandal here with the kingdom of heaven, with the gospel. And the scandal is that people don't get what they deserve when they are judged. Real sinners who have committed real sins 
are declared by God to be righteous for Jesus' sake. Why? Because God wants to. This is similar to a couple other parables of Jesus', such as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. A Pharisee and a tax collector both go up into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee is a great guy. He does all the stuff that he's supposed to do, outwardly at least, and he thanks God that he's made him the way that he is, and he's not like other people. The tax collector says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says that it's the tax collector who goes to his home justified, that is one who is judged as being righteous in God's sight. Or it's like the parable of the workers in the vineyard. There's workers that get sent into the vineyard and some go out first thing in the morning and some in midday. And then there are some who only work one measly tiny hour and when it comes time to pay the workers, they all get paid a full day's wage. And the owner of the vineyard explains what's going on. He says, well, I just wanted to do it. I'm generous. He actually asks, can't I do what I want with what belongs to me? So it is that people who have truly sinned, who have not done right, are given the righteousness of God in Jesus. And finally, the last parable is that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that pulls everything that's in the water up onto shore, whether it's good or it's bad, and then when it's on the shore, it's separated from the good and the bad. And so shall it be, Jesus says, at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This last parable shows us the seriousness and the importance to each individual of the kingdom of heaven. It appears so often to so many that God's word is at best some kind of old-fashioned hobby. We just sit around and listen to the word and come up with some interpretations and applications, but it doesn't really matter to a person's life. Instead, what really matters as far as a person's life is concerned is stuff like making money or feeling good about yourself or having your life full of pleasures. People will be serious about those things, not so much about the kingdom of heaven. What this parable points out is that whether we are good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, that this is of the utmost importance to our continued happiness at the close of the age. For each one of us, either we will be gathered together with those who are good or we will be cast into the fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And how is it that we will be righteous? It's not by making a lot of money. It isn't by filling our life with pleasures. It isn't even by trying our best to be a good person and never giving up. Instead, it's, it's by embracing the cross of Christ. That is, it's by believing that it is no longer I who am living, but Christ 
who lives within me. In this life that I'm currently living, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Because of that, you have an inexhaustible treasure. That's how a person will be judged by God as good. At the close of the age, apart from Christ, even the most outstanding specimen of a human being will be like a piece of garbage that's dredged up from the murky depths. On the other hand, even the foulest sinner who believes in Jesus Christ crucified for him will be righteous with God's own perfect righteousness that's freely communicated to him and held to by faith. So let us be prepared for the dragnet that will pull each of us up onto the shore. That is, let us take refuge in Jesus our Savior.